humans innately, whether you're introverted or extroverted, still seek connection. They seek a different connection depending on whether you're introvert or extrovert. And we've got to reach people where that connection is. And I strive to do that. No, I can always even do better. But I think that's what's most important. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, where being a high achiever doesn't necessarily equate to being an effective leader. Let's check to see if you're in the right place. If you're rising through the ranks of your organization so fast that your leadership skills need to grow as fast as your responsibilities, you're in the right place. If it seems you need different skills to lead your team or lead from within a group of talented, competitive peers, you're in the right place. If you're looking to become a trusted advisor to the CEO, you are definitely in the right place. So now that we know that you're in the right place, enjoy today's conversation. Before we begin the show, I have something for you. The Rising Leader Handbook is going to be published in October of this year, but you don't have to wait. If you go to my website, www.markjsilverman.com, click the red button, you can get an advanced copy of the executive summary of the Rising Leader Handbook. In the same place, you can get a copy of Only Tens. Love to get your feedback. Now on with the show. So you know we have a really good relationship with Meredith Bell from the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. Whenever she makes a suggestion to have someone on, the, on my podcast, I always say yes and then ask questions later. When I did research on my next guest, I loved his experience in the future of work, in employee retention, in, in how do you work with remote people. He's got experience in the health in the healthcare industry and the education industry, which is really a tough place to be a leader at. The forces that you have to work with are, I think, exponentially more than just in plain old business. What really attracted, after I did some research and started listening to Jeffrey Roach on podcasts and on YouTube, was this ease with which he talks about leadership. And he talks about the relationships he has with the people he leads with, the people that he leads under, and the people that, uh, the teams that he leads. Uh, when we talk about relationship first, uh, he doesn't just say it. It's just, it's in every conversation that he has. So that made me want to have him on the podcast more. Officially, he's an accomplished healthcare and higher education executive with a steadfast commitment and passion for healthcare innovation, uh, future-focused strategy, transformation, cultural change, diversity, equity, all the good things we want in business. He's been over 15 years in hospital administration, higher ed uh, leadership. He's been advisor to the president, CEO, and directors of her various departments, business development, strategic planning, government affairs. Like this guy knows the healthcare and education industry and leadership inside and out. He's the direct director for workforce development in North America for Siemens. He's the co-host of the Holistic Leader podcast. And now he's on our podcast. Jeffrey Roach, thank you for being here. Thanks, Mark, for having me. Yeah. So when I was listening, one of the things that you wear as a badge of honor is that your mother was a nurse, hmm. is a nurse. I, I, and I learned that uh, the way you say it. She's always a nurse, like you're always a Marine. You're always a nurse, even when you yeah. retire. And you talked about how she built like an entire institution and that you got to work on that afterwards. Is that where is that where you started to get your interest in healthcare or in leadership or both together? Yeah, it's interesting. I would say without question, my mother had a significant influence on what made me think about healthcare. I knew did not want to be clinical. That was not my forte. But when I was a young child, my mother was actually going to nursing school. 
And in many ways, while I had a father, my mother was like a single mother because my parents were divorced and I only saw my father every other weekend. And my mother was literally raising us, certainly a lot of support from my Oma, my grandmother. Uh, but my mother was raising us while she was going to nursing school uh, and then started her career in nursing. And so I saw all of that. But I would tell you, my mother and I have this conversation all the time. My mother would never want to hear me say this, but the reality is she did teach me a lot about leadership. And my mother is a silent leader. She, like many nurses, does not feel she's a leader. And so what I have learned through that is so many nurses, Mark, to this day, don't feel that they're leaders. And when you unpack it, it's, well, I don't have that title. I don't have that role. No, you are a leader. And so, no, I absolutely saw a lot of leadership. In fact, when I would go into the hospital as a young child with my mother, sometimes she had to bring my brother and I with her. Sometimes we went in for bring your child to work day. I would see my mother interact with her peers and her colleagues as a charge nurse. And I would see those leadership qualities and many of which I'm happy to call my own traits today. Nice. So let's, let's, I want to talk about that because before I turned on the mic, I was telling you how I, I don't like the cliche conversations we have about leadership, right? There's these labels and these things we put on leadership that makes it daunting for people that make a nurse say, I'm not a leader because I don't have these traits or these titles or these badge of honor or these attitude. And for me, leadership is basically telling the truth having difficult conversations, doing what yeah. needs to be done, right? And, and connecting in, cer in certain ways, figuring things out, FITFO, right? But yeah. so uh, what is what do you call leadership for you? Because you, you worked for some really good people. And by the way, go listen to his podcast and also Meredith Bell's podcast interview with him. And he'll talk about some of his mentors in a yeah. much more deep manner. Yeah. You know, Mark, when I think about it, when I think about my leadership, and when I think about the leaders that I have most been attracted to, what has always been clear for them and for me is purpose and meaning. And that when you really understand your purpose and your meaning as a leader, you realize that A, it's all about the people. And that whether you have a title or not, you have purpose and you have meaning to impact them and everything around you. And you also have purpose to fulfill whatever your dreams are, and at the same time, help others fulfill theirs. And so for me, I was blessed to have mentors and leaders who embedded that in me at a young age, because to your point, you will regularly also hear me say, and I know some people will say, oh, this is controversial. When I look at a lot of the major authors of leadership, I get sickened because the reality of it is, to your exact point, they make it seem like it's so hard to get there. Mm -hmm. And that bothers me so much because I see it in our society so often where people will say, I can't reach that. And then they'll say, well, I read this and it makes it seem like I can't. And I'll say, don't even pay attention to that because the reality of it is that if we embed mentorship, if we embed coaching, if we embed support one another into all facets of an organization, anybody can reach it. And so I truly think that we have taught and spoken about leadership in many of the wrong ways for so long. And it's people like you and it's people like Meredith and it's others who actually have understood this from the very start, that it's truly about the heart and it's truly about connection. And when you establish that meaningful connection, you can lead like no other. Yeah, Mark, I had Mark Mark Crowley on the podcast and he wrote Leadership from the Heart. 
And he's and he said, you wouldn't if people wouldn't describe me as a heart centered leader, the people who worked for me, they would say I was a hard ass. I was demanding and I was a heart centered leader. Right. Like they're not mutually exclusive. Would you say the same thing for you? Because you're, you're leading people who are in such hard conditions, but with budgets, with working hours, all that stuff. How would you say you hold people accountable, get the job done, and stay heart-centered? Yeah. I think first and foremost, the key there is the heart-centered part has to be at the center. So irregardless whether you're holding someone accountable, it still has to be done with a focus on the heart, and that is through connection. And so as a leader, when I've had to hold teams accountable, those teams understand that when I'm having that conversation with them, they understand that I'm having that conversation with them in a manner that is also to benefit them. This can never be as just to benefit the organization. And so I think that's where a lot of leaders get it wrong. Yes, performance is important, but the only way to perform is through your people. And so if you keep the heart-centered part at the center, you always come back to that. So for example, when I've had to coach colleagues in the past, I can remember a colleague specifically who, who was a little bit more difficult. And what I realized when I unpacked and spent so much time with him, it was the fact that in that same organization we served in, he had seven or eight different bosses in the 10 years that he was there. And in those experiences, he had bosses and leaders, quote unquote leaders, who were not heart-centered, who were just trying to tell him churn. And what I realized is he wanted somebody to connect with. And so here came this young 30-some-year-old director who at first he said to me, what are you going to teach me? And I said, this isn't about teaching. This is about how we learn together. And in that experience, what I learned was I had to build an authentic, meaningful connection with him and the community he worked in, which was EMS. And that through that connection, he saw that I was authentic and that I would become the type of leader that he would want to be a part of. Fast forward several years later, we went through a merger and we were restructured. And he came to me and he said, I can't do this. I'm not going to have you as my leader anymore. And I said, you can do it. Because what we learned together was not about me. It was about what we can accomplish together. And so there's so much, I think, in that type of approach that if we remember the people part first as a heart-centered leader, we can be tough. We can be accountable. We can be uh, honest and transparent. And sometimes that can really be tough tough words at times, but we can still be people focused. Yeah. I, it's funny because I watch in the coaching industry, I watch people confront for confront's sake. They're truth tellers and they love to cut people right to the core because that's the truth and they need to hear that. And I've always felt that coaching was a sacred calling and that you don't get to coach someone unless you absolutely fall in love with them. Like unless, because you have to know that you have their heart in your hand. And I confront people pretty harshly but never someone I don't absolutely cherish and know that I'm holding their heart. So I think the yeah. same thing with holding people accountable. If you know yeah. that you're caring for these people, I'm curious, how did you get that guy after he had several less than effective leaders? How, what did you do with him? How were you with him that actually had him learn to trust you and then learn to co-create with you? Yeah. So what I learned was it was a process. And it also was not the type of situation where I could just impose my styles on him. And so what was really important and what I vividly remember is I can remember this because I can remember a conversation I had with my direct supervisor at the time when they actually made the restructure. 
for him to report to me. I knew that he was going to be tough. And our director of organizational development herself even said to me, this is going to be a teachable moment for you, Jeffrey. And it's one of the reasons why we want to challenge you with this. And I remember thinking, well, oh, okay. So what's this going to be about? And I remember the first conversation I had with him. And, you know, I can remember him vividly saying to me, I haven't had any good leader here. No one really has worked to support me. And I can't imagine a 30-some-year-old that's several years younger than me is going to be in a position to do that. And I can remember in that vivid second, I thought to myself, I've got to channel my inner Kathy. And Kathy was my CEO. And I remember I have, I've got to channel Kathy because I either have two directions I can go here. One, I can be the main, that mean command and control boss that can say, hey, I'm in charge. You're going to follow. Which, which a lot of young, inexperienced and Absolutely. Uh, insecure leaders fall into. Yep. And a lot of experienced leaders at times, too, I've come to learn in my career, <laughs> right. unfortunately. But to your point, I remember I said, got to channel that inner Kathy. And Kathy always taught me and told me, she said, I'm going to be on your shoulder at times. So just remember that. And I remember thinking, this is that tongue in cheek moment. And so I said to him, you know what? I also am going to learn a lot from you. And I can't wait to see what you teach me. I said, but all I request of you is to give me an opportunity to walk alongside you and be a part of your journey here, because I'm confident if we're together, it will be a much better journey. And he said, happy to. And so the first thing I did is I said, give me a calendar of all your educational programs. He said, why? He said, you're not going to come. I said, hey, I love to be doubted. I said, if I show up, am I welcomed? And he said, oh, absolutely. I said, okay, just give me the calendar. And so I would show up. I didn't want to have any role there because it was his event. Mm -hmm. And I told him that every time I showed up, do not call me out. Don't focus on me. Focus on what you do. I'm there to support you. And so there were opportune moments, right? Because what happened is we were going through budgets and the leadership team was coming to me and saying, we've got to look at some budgets in your respective areas. We want to look at this area. And um, so I came to him and I said, look, we're going to have some tough decisions to make. And I want you to understand this. I said, but one thing I'm going to tell you, we're not cutting anything in your area. And he said, why? He said, because I said, because I've seen the impact. Mm. I went to the leadership team and I said, not cutting here. Here's where I'm cutting. And they said, we trust your judgment 100%. You understand why we're do why you're making these decisions. I said, 100%. And, the, and I can remember my senior vice president looked at me and he, he said, you've been to those programs, haven't you? I said, absolutely. He said, thank you. And mm. The impact there was clear. That employee saw what I meant. That employee saw that transparency, but employee also saw that it, for me, it wasn't about the title that I held, but it was about could we become partners in that work together? Fast forward, the work we did together grew. We grew a larger team and we accomplished so much that we built what became in that region the most successful and impactful emergency medical services education program and recognize I was leading it and I wasn't an EMS. I wasn't an EMT. I wasn't a paramedic, but I had the right people in the right place at the right time. And I allowed them to be the best that they could be. You know, I love that you said the words, right? You, you connected, but then you voted with your feet, your time and your resources, right? So that you, so you back that up. That's, that leads me to Another piece is if you're a heart-centered leadership, if you're a connection-centered leadership, which I think we have to do when we start talking about the future of work, you know, the, the, every single one of my clients 
talks about how hard it is to retain people because they say, I want you on site or I need you with clearances at this government site or I need you to do this. And they can get a job for $30,000 more a year working from Miami, right? So so these leadership skills that we're talking about that were nice to have when the, when the job market was tight because you could push people a little harder. Now you really do need to learn to be this kind of leader. How do you budget your time? Because I find that most effective leaders spend so much time in relationship, in curiosity, in coaching, in giving feedback with their people that it, it takes more time than they expect. How do you do that? Yeah, it's definitely, to your point, a journey and a process, right? I mean, the, the reality of it is, is especially, I mean, we all know leaders have have so much on their plate. And I think irregardless of the size of the organization, leaders just we we collectively have so much we have to accomplish every day but i think what it comes down to is again that meaning and purpose and so for me i try to remember that at all times that i've got to at the end of the day i've got to walk away knowing did i contribute to that meaning and that purpose and so i try to keep that grounded and centered and as part of that for me it's that element of that connection uh, if i didn't have the chance to connect with a colleague with a teammate uh, if I didn't have that chance when someone reaches out and says, hey, I need to talk to you on this subject, and I don't make the time, then I'm not achieving and I'm not fulfilling that meaning and that purpose. And so, yes, it's tough, but I will also just give the plug here. That's why leaders also have to invest in their own self-care. You, you can't do this work without doing that. And so for me, I know I've got to start out my day with a three-mile run or several miles on the bike. I know I've got to do that. If I don't, my day is going to be very interesting. And I think some of my colleagues will say, wow, I know those days because it's, it, I know. And, and sometimes I will even tell people, this is not going to be a good day for me because I know it. I just know it. And so I think we also have to be humble and we've got to be honest that, you know, we're people too. We're humans too. And so some days are not our good days. And at the same time, we've got to give that opportunity to our teams. So sometimes leaders will do that, but we don't give our teams that opportunity. And we know the world is tough right now. And as leaders, we've got to acknowledge that. And same thing for me is other leaders have to acknowledge that too. And so I think from a leadership perspective, we've got to get to a point, we truly remember we're all humans and humans innately, whether you're introverted or extroverted, still seek connection. They seek a different connection depending on whether you're introverted or extrovert. And we've got to reach people where that connection is. And I strive to do that. No, I can always even do better. But I think that's what's most important. It's a little harder being remote. So we have high, some people are in, in the office, uh, in healthcare, people can't really phone that in. Although I do have a tele, like with the ear infection that we were talking about that I have right now that's making my head spin, I do have a telemedicine call and yeah. they said they could prescribe. I'm like, I'm you, you don't have to look at my ear. I totally have an ear infection. Please just prescribe me antibiotics. <laughs> But I've heard you talk about this on several in several occasions. How do you keep that connection, keep that interest, and keep all that with people remote? Yeah, I think you have to do it the exact same way that we've done it in person. It's just different, right? I think that the challenge we've had with going to a remote environment is we is we have there's kind of multiple facets to it. A, we never trained leaders and management teams on how to manage and handle that transition because it happened very quickly. Organizations that have done it for quite a while have done really well because they've managed it. They have 
trainings in place. They've built their culture around it. And so for me, when you serve in an organization that has not necessarily done that, has not hardwired it, it's even more important to remember people need connections. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to establish touch points, but you need to establish those touch points in a healthy manner. And what I say there is don't schedule them if you know you've got team members that have children or are taking care of adults at times in the morning or at times at other points in times where they may be doing those things. That's where I think a lot of leaders just get it wrong. And don't just assume that it's mom uh, or dad taking the children. Because you know what? You don't know who's taking the children and it should never be assumed. And so I think in many ways, when it comes to this remote environment, we have to just be thoughtful around what is what one could be doing at home. And I think too many leaders, and this is where, again, I'd probably be a bit controversial, but particularly the more seasoned leaders get a little tough, in my opinion. Just because you can't reach someone that's working remote doesn't mean they're not working. You have no idea what they're doing, but we should not immediately resort to, well, they're not working as hard. They're doing something else. That has not even, because you know what? I've worked in the office for many years. I've walked around and I've seen many leaders not working hard. So I think we just have to retrain our minds to understand the world is different. We still need connection. People still need support. People absolutely need encouragement. And that requires uh, a leader to think differently, but still find that opportunity to connect with them. And if they're working remote and they have times when they can come in person, make sure you make the most of it because like it that. truly can make a difference. Yeah, like make it attractive to come in. Because yeah. again, I was talking to the former uh, finance minister of Canada. I was having dinner. She was my, sitting next to me. And we were talking about how We've been separating into our little tribes over the last decade or so pretty badly with social media. Then with COVID and, and now with remote work, we're not, we're not interacting the way we used to. We have to learn to have connection in a different fashion. Now, I have clients I've never met in person. I've coached them for three, four years, and I've never met them in person, and I do feel a connection. But yeah. it's interesting, when I do fly to whatever their location is and we have a hug, They'll tell me in the next session what a difference that physical connection made to them, yeah. even though they've known me for years. So I think that you talked about laughing on having social time on, on Zoom, if that's the case, finding ways to normalize it. I think another thing, uh, when COVID first happened and every, all the speakers went remote, I, was, I made friends with a guy named Brett Culp, who's a in, in great mm. international speaker, just brilliant guy. And he did a little class just because he was bored because all his talks got canceled on how to present on video. Mm -hmm. And he said one, two things, two things are different. One is that when you present, present live, you are the lightning, the audience is the thunder and you feed yeah. off each other, right? You don't have that on zoom. Nope. So you have to be the lightning and the thunder at the same time. The second mm -hmm. thing, the, the second thing he said is you have to bring up more energy, exaggerated energy when you're on video than when you're on stage. It's counterintuitive yeah. because you're looking at it, but you have to bring all this energy. And I think like with Zoom, we have like little things going on all around. If you're the leader on Zoom, I think you have to bring it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like you, you, you ha I think to your point, you have to bring it and you also have to tell stories. Just if you think about it, you've got to, so like as organizations, you've got to find those stories that are going to resonate 
because it's all about connection. And if you can bring it back to your meaning and purpose, what I have found is I've worked with colleagues and when they talk about some of those clinical stories, you see everyone on that Zoom, really? Like they're really, seriously? We did that? You've got to be able to wax and wane between those stories because to your point, you've got to bring it, you've got to bring that high energy, got to even bring a bit more high energy than than you would on that stage. But you also have to bring those stories because people connected those stories. And I think we as leaders, especially have gotten to be a bit like monotone when it comes to those, some of those things. We just, we're just not innovating enough to remember the importance of those communication techniques. I think, and, and, and even more so when we're on Zoom, I think we do it naturally in, in like when we're together, we do it naturally yeah. and it feels like we're taking up extra space and time on Zoom. And I think you're hundred percent right. That's so, then you keep saying this meaning and purpose, this meaning and purpose. And every time I've heard you say it, I actually feel something when you say it, I feel it in the conversation again, we had before we turned on about this caricature of leadership the trouble people are having to keeping people engaged in the work that they're doing and that the, this meaning and purpose thing isn't just words. People yeah. only care about what they care about. And if you don't care about it and you can't, and you're not a leader who can teach people to care about it, that's going to, you know, it's going to be a paycheck. And then yeah. the, a bigger paycheck with a, a Miami address is going to be yeah. more, more attractive. Well, and I think Mark, right? Like the data is so clear and I, and I don't always sit here and quote a McKinsey source. But the reality of it is, if you look, I mean, recently, they, they, they found that 71 or 71% of people said they will leave their job right now because of their boss. I believe that data 100%. And you would hope that data like that would be a wake up call to every leader in every organization. But I'm not so sure it is, unfortunately, because I don't see in all the conversations and and discussions I'm in across this country, the same level of intention from leaders on that. And I think we as leaders have just gotten comfortable. We're in those roles. People move on. They're just moving on. Why would they leave us? But the reality of it is they're also leaving because of you. Mm. They're not leaving because of anything else right now in many cases. I mean, yeah, 30% pay, benefits, education. But if you really unpack it, a lot of the things they're leaving for, a leader could make all the difference. Well, let's go. All. Let's go. But let's go. Let's have some compassion for the leaders because, like, I work in organizations who have a culture of coaching, a culture of giving each leader a coach because the leaders have so yeah. much pressure on them. Sometimes, when I see what I do for my clients, sometimes it isn't just leadership skills. Sometimes it's riding the ship because of all the they have shit going on at home right? They have kids, they have elderly parents, they watch the news, they have meltdowns, right? And getting them back to your your bike ride in the morning. If you don't do your bike ride or your run in the morning, like if you're not grounded and centered, how are you going to be grounded and centered and curious with someone else? Right? Yeah. And and that's a very good point. And, And it's one of the reasons, like to your exact point, one of the reasons why I have always said, especially in healthcare, that I'm mystified that we don't invest enough in learning and development. Because, and also, let me just put it out there for all my friends that are CEOs in healthcare. If you don't have a chief learning officer that reports to you, I'm not sure where you're at. Because having a chief learning officer as part of the C suite and having a well resourced learning and development operation, to your point, and, and, and 
and integrating that into every facet of the organization and empowering that department will do exactly what you're speaking of. And then when leaders get off the tracks, they can be coached. And maybe if they're not working, they can be moved on. But you've got to have that. And I look at it today, and a lot of times those departments are like less than 4% from a resource perspective in an organization. And that's just maddening when we talk about culture, when we talk about retention. And so I think as as CEOs in the world really have to pay a lot of attention to having those types of departments well-resourced and having those leaders literally report right to them. I I think it just, I watch it make a huge difference because again, we're talking about human beings, right? And whenever you bring human beings together, like there's a mess. So so anybody that we can grow up, anybody we can get to some semblance of emotional intelligence, grounded and centeredness, it permeates the whole situation. So I think- Absolutely. So let's go to a subject I'm dying to talk to you about because I trust you. I'm having this conversation over and over and over again about DEI, Mm. about vulnerability and heart-centered leadership, about diversity and all all this stuff. And it was really seemed to be getting traction. And it seemed to be in every conversation, especially now with the job market and employee retention and all that stuff. And now I'm hearing backlash. And I'm a little mystified. I'm not mystified. I actually get it. I'm horrified. (laughs) What are you seeing as far as, because like, again, your whole thing, you're a preacher of all of the the good parts of this leadership conversation. And the pushback is really interesting. What are you hearing and seeing? Yeah. I think like you, I'm seeing and hearing a lot of the same things. And I think depending on the state uh, that an organization is in, and certainly depending on, on their governor, they're reacting differently or as they would think, maybe responsibly. This is a tough subject, right? I mean, the reality of it is that it's really sad to think that it's been politicized. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also been in a recent training on this topic and and some of the individuals that were uh, performing it reminded us that this is not uncommon of what we saw throughout the civil rights era mm-hmm. as well. You'd make some progress, you'd get pushed back. You'd make some progress, you'd get pushed back. And so I truly do believe that this is the moment as a leadership team for boards, governing boards, trustees as well, shareholders, et cetera, to really sit back and make a conscious decision for what's right for their organization and their people. And I think that if they would see that diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not a political issue, but it is truly about culture, it is truly about our people, and when we celebrate it, we achieve it. Mm -hmm. And when we make it a part of the fabric of our organization, we feel it. And when we amplify it, those voices are not only heard, but those voices become part of the solution. And so I think, look, I absolutely am so happy to see Disney stand their ground in the state of Florida. And I hope there are going to be more and more Disney's that stand their ground in in states where they feel that their governors are trying to take them on. Because the reality of it is, I have a hard time really believing that those governors are doing it for anything but politics. And so this is not a time for politics. Because I will also tell you that as so many of these individuals, to your point about vulnerability, are the most vulnerable. 
And we as leaders have make it or break it moments. And I talk about this all the time that our words and our actions matter. And what we choose to do could be a make it or break it moment, particularly among a community where suicides are so high. Mm-hmm. So I hate to go there, but it's the reality. So if we don't achieve psychological safety, if we don't truly advance psychological safety, we will face more and more of these challenges. And so to me, it's a it's really a, a it's really one of those issues of moral clarity where you come down and you say, I know this is the right thing. And irregardless of what others are going to do, if people are going to take me on, just do it. Like Nike said in their brand, just do it. I truly think organizations that just do it are going to be not only some of the best cultures, but are going to also be the place where the six different generations that are in the workplace today and and in the future are going to want to work. You couldn't have said it better. It's We forget that just because we're at it, we're all human beings. And, and I have never seen... I talk about allostatic load and mm-hmm. that, and I seem to be the, the you, do you know what allostatic load is? Yep. You yep. are the first I've person. Heard, I've read about it. Right. The, I read about it, said it on a podcast, and now I get asked to talk about it all the time. And I'm the foremost of Florida and I didn't even make it up. But, you yep. know, the allostatic load, the amount of stress, right, that and that we retain yep. in our body at any given time. And that when we don't have a lot of leeway when our allostatic load is high we don't give people mulligans we're not at our best we we have a short fuse we start to have physical issues and i've never ever seen allostatic load so high in every human being all the time because of what's in the news because of every piece of stress that you can know and demand and if we don't remember that we're leading human beings and that we're human beings ourselves selves and need that self-care we're not doing a service to society or our businesses. Yeah, so absolutely. Cool. I, my last question, I'm really enamored with you. I think there's such a beauty to what you share in the world and the way and your way of being kudos to your mom. I have, she created a, a really cool young man. So it's 40 some odd years from now and you're receiving a lifetime achievement award and it's Jeffrey, your contribution to X was this. And we appreciate that. What would you hope that award would be for? Yeah. It's really a a tough one. I'll probably say, though, a mentor of mine, to, to your previous question, really challenged me about two and a half years ago to say, Jeffrey, you are a young white man of privilege, and we need your voice to help really move diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging forward. And about a year after that, I went to a phenomenal leadership development program in Colorado that was all about how we can use our creative imaginations to create better workplaces. And and as part of that, we were trained on this important sense of belonging, but also this important element of mattering in the workplace. And that so many people don't have the opportunity to be valued respected and appreciated in the workplace. So many people actually cover who they are because of this. And as I sat through that, I woke up after the next morning and I thought, wow, like I'm not doing enough in this space. And so I have, I think at the end of the day, I would not only want to be remembered for putting forward that voice, but for helping to ensure others' voices are heard and that others got to the table. And that for us to achieve a future of work, 
we would have a true focus on a sense of belonging. I'm so I've never asked that question to anybody on a podcast. That's not my standard closing question. I was just curious because I'm I'm really quite taken with you and your relationship with life and people. Uh, so so thank you. If people want to hear know more about you and get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah, I would definitely reach out on LinkedIn. That's definitely the best. And I'm always happy to speak to anybody. And I always say we we learn together. And so there's nothing more important than me to, to have authentic connection. And I'm glad that you know, LinkedIn presents a great opportunity for that as well. Yeah, Jeffrey shares so much good stuff. He's on tons of podcasts. So if you didn't get enough of him, you can go down the rabbit hole and learn all things Jeffrey Roche. Sir, I appreciate you. I, I really appreciate your time and your attention. I learned a ton from you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And thanks for all that you do. To everybody else, be kind to yourself. The, the, we talked about these mental health issues. We're all having them. I'm a practice. Like I meditate and I take care of myself and eat right. And I'm having a hard time. So lots of love to all of you. I appreciate your time and attention. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for joining today's conversation. If you got value, please share the episode, give us a thumbs up, write us a review. And if there's a topic you'd like us to cover or a question that you have, send them my way. Look forward to connecting on the next episode of the Rising Leader Podcast.